But Romans chapter number 2, we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. And in chapter number 2, we're, we're still talking about, um, talking about the judgment of God. You see, Paul was setting the stage for the grace of God by showing us the judgment of God, okay? He's talking to, um, to, the, to the church in Rome. He's writing this letter, and they have the Old Testament as their guide. And the Old Testament, of course, we see a picture of the judgment of God. We see a picture uh, of, of before the days of grace. And he's setting the stage for why Jesus had to come. And, and in verses, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16, he kind of um, he makes the case against those um, those that would consider themselves moralists are those that choose to judge others. Anybody in here other than me ever judge somebody else? We've all been guilty of that, huh? We, we, we don't mean to, but it just is natural. It's like, well, I'm doing better than they are. Yeah, you may be doing better than, than, than you are, but that gives you a false sense of security, a false sense of pride, okay? And and last time I checked, in fact, I was having this conversation with our, our presbyter, or our executive presbyter, Packy Thompson. He and I both recognized that, Nick, we're only one decision away from chaos. We are literally a couple minutes away from just blowing up everything, okay? Packy has been used by God to build a great church in Bayou Blue, Louisiana. When he got there, they had about 30 people in an old rundown building. They're running over 1,000 now. And it's not because of him. It's because of his wife's ability. No, I'm just kidding. Even though he would say, yeah, Janet had a lot to do with it. But it's because of the grace of God. But Packy Thompson has never forgotten where he came from. And I haven't forgotten where I came from either. And that's a great reminder to us all. And honestly, that'll keep us from standing in the seat of judgment. When we, when we don't forget that it's not us, it's Miss Dawn, it's not our discipline, it's not us making positive changes in our life, it's the Jesus in us, it's the grace of Almighty God that allows us to, to stand. Anything short of that is, is, uh, is missing the mark. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes and then we'll let you go. So let's pray, and then we're going to read Romans chapter number 2. Lord, we just welcome you in this place. Just ask that you'd touch us tonight, Lord. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you, Lord, and, and help us, Lord, not to, uh, not to look at our neighbor's heart today, but look at our heart. And God, if there's anything that needs changing, anything that needs adjusting, Holy Spirit, you are welcome to come and, and touch our hearts and touch our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This is one of the passages that covers several subjects and can be studied from the viewpoint of any one of them. It's an excellent study on judging, criticizing others, the judgment of God, and, and a warning to those that tend to be self-righteous, the, the moralists, the legalists. It also deals with the judgment on those that, that, that don't know the Lord. The answer is the question that is so often answered, what will happen to the heathen, to the person who never has heard about Jesus? But this study is going to be entitled, God's Case Against the Moralist. So let's read about it. Romans chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1, reading out of the King James Version, it says this, Wherefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgeth. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? 
Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them that to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, uh, immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul a man that doeth evil, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. You know, we serve a God who is impartial. We serve a God who doesn't make no mistakes. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So let's break this down a little bit. In verse number one, we have the the case of God against the moralist. In the eyes of Scripture, a moralist is a person who lives a moral and a clean life, but he judges others because they do not live as he thinks they should. He is moral, he is upright, he is just, he's good, he's decent, he's honorable. The moralist has strong values, standards, and principles. He's well-disciplined, able to control his life. He lives just as everyone thinks he should. He knows right from wrong, and he usually does right. He knows how to behave, and he does it. In the eyes of society, he is just what a person should be. He's a good neighbor, an excellent worker, provider, an ideal citizen. Basically, Paul is talking to the religious leaders of the day. On the outside, they had it all together, and they often found themselves in the seat of judgment. And that's what God despised. That's what God wanted to get their attention about. See, the problem is, number one, the moralist judges others. The word judge means to criticize, to find fault, to condemn This is a terrible flaw of the moralist or the legalist. Any person becomes a moralist when he sets himself up as a judge of others. Anytime we judge another person, we are declaring that we are living by some rule that another person is not living by, that we are better than someone else. We are superior to someone else, more righteous, more acceptable to God. Judging others says, I am right and he is not. I succeed, but he fails. Therefore, look at me. You see, so many times judgmental people draw attention to themselves when we should be referring attention to God. That's why Jesus is the only judge. See, we think we can judge correctly because we, we know all the facts. Only God knows all the facts. Only God truly knows what's in man's heart, you know? How many have figured out that we like to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions? See, we 
Sister Garland, you ever did something and, and you meant for it to go well, but it didn't go well? Been there, done that. Got the t-shirt, okay? Got the scars to prove it, okay? But we want to be judged by our good intentions, right? We meant well, but we don't judge others like that, do we? We purely look at their actions. We purely look at what they do and what they don't do. And then we say, oh, we can make a judgment. No, you can't. Only God. That's why all judgment has been reserved to Jesus. Very simply, judging others raises self and lowers others. It exalts self and it debases others. And in the eyes of God, this is wrong. In fact, it's sin. It is being full of self-righteousness, pride, and arrogance. That's why Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not, lest you be judged. And also in James chapter number 4, the Bible says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So, in addition to that, the moralist, the legalist, is inexcusable. He condemns himself because he does the very same things. You know, I've noticed many, many times in people that have a critical spirit, the very things they try to point out in others, they have issues with. You know, many times we try to point out the faults in others, Nick, because it deflects attention from me. You know, many times, you ever notice, how many, how many ever got teased in school? Believe it or not, I got teased in school, okay? Because, because before I, I got in good shape, Kate, I was a fat little kid, okay? I used to be the husky kid, okay? We had to, we had to get my clothes in the husky section, okay? And, and I, I used to hear tubby, tubby, two by four, blah, 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 whatever, okay? I was the big guy. And, and, and Greg, they would tease me and then run, and the fat kid couldn't catch him, okay? But every now and then I'd be waiting for him around. Okay, that's a different story, different day, okay? But we've all been teased before, huh? How many have noticed, though, the very things kids tease you about it's often to deflect attention from themselves. They're so insecure, and they're trying to, Sister Joseph, they're trying to get you to laugh at somebody else so you don't look at them. And it's the same thing with legalists. It's the same thing with the moralists. We want to stand in judgment when really the only person we ought to be judging is ourselves. Ourselves. But it's a whole lot easier to find the faults in others, isn't it? And the moralist is inexcusable. He condemns himself because often he does the very same things. Romans 2 and 1, Thou that judgest doeth the same things. We're reminded by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 that all temptation is common to man. We're all tempted. We are all given the choice to do right or do wrong, okay? And as I reminded us Sunday, sadly, sometimes some folks just want to do wrong. They, they know what's right, they know what's wrong, and they just insist on doing wrong. But in God's eyes, sin is a matter of the heart and the mind. It's not just an act. The thought and the desire makes a person just as guilty as the act itself. God knows that many would carry out their thoughts if they had the courage or the opportunity. God knows the heart, the mind, and the thoughts. Sin, whether thoughts in the mind or acts in public, come short of God's glory. So all of us stand guilty before God. Therefore, the moralist, the religious folks, the, the self-righteous person, the person who judges, is as guilty as the one who judged. It is for this reason we are not to judge, criticize, or find fault with others. Jesus taught in Matthew 7 and 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in your brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in your own? You know, I've seen that illustrated before in a sermon that a guy was walking around with a two-by-four on his shoulder, and he's like, Hey, come here, let me get that 
speck out of your eye, okay? And it's so funny, but it's like we are sometimes. We're quick to find faults in others. I'm really quick to say, oh, you should do this, this, and this. But, ooh, why don't we look at the things I should do? So again, guys, if there's any takeaway from this, morning, this evening's message, let's, if we want to judge somebody, judge ourselves. Don't judge your spouse. Come on, husband, say amen, okay? Don't judge your spouse. Don't, don't do any of that. Judge yourself. And then that's the only good that can come out of judgment. Amen? The point does not mean, uh, I, again, the point does not mean that the judicial system or the, the, uh, uh, those things are wrong. There's a right time for discipline. Even in the church, there's a right time for, for those type of things. But we're talking about someone who is, uh, uh, is just criticizing in a critical spirit. And I've met folks like that. Sadly, I've met folks like that in church. And, and you know, I, I told somebody this week, even constructive criticism gets old after a while, don't it? <laughs> you know? I've been around sports a long, long time, and, and sadly, one thing coaches seem to always do is criticize. You know, we want you to get better. But even constructive criticism after a while gets old, you know? And, and, and if it gets old in the sporting world, how much older does it get here in church? You know? So again, guys, let's make sure we don't stand in the seat of judgment because, again, that's not God's will for our life. In fact, if you want a test of your spirituality, don't see how good you are at judging. Try this on for size in Galatians chapter number 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness. Consider in thyself, lest thou also be tempted... Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. A true test of spirituality is how we pick others up, how we encourage others when they're down. Amen? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Then in verses 2 through 5, again, we, 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 we have the, the judgment of God. The judgment of God, of the only true and living God, is according to truth. Okay? Paul, I mean, Paul right here is comparing man's judgment, which is often flawed, which is often inadequate, which often misses the mark, with God's judgment that is always right. Okay? There's no arguing balls and strikes with God, Nick. Okay? He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He doesn't miss any. Okay? God's judgment will be executed in perfect judgment. The word truth means true as opposed to false. It means what really is, what actually exists, what actually takes place. God's judgment is perfectly just, exactly what it should be. Nothing more, nothing less. His judgment is based upon what really happened, what the facts are, what actually took place, and what a person really within his heart meant to do. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, The Lord sees not as a man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at what? The heart. Amen? Only God can see that. God knows the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Therefore, he will judge according to the truth. His judgment will be perfect, confirming exactly, conforming exactly to our deeds. He makes no mistakes. Again, guys, often we think we know the whole story. Often we want to stand in judgment because, because we hear one person's side, and, and that may be 90% of the truth, but there's 10% that we don't know. 
There's no 10% that God doesn't know. He knows everything. Okay? Remember, guys, when you hear one side of the story, no matter how flimsy the pancake, there's always two sides to it. Okay? I've also learned in counseling and in spending time with others, there's actually three sides. His, hers, and the truth. Okay? I'm not saying that he's lying. I'm not saying that she's lying. I'm just saying we filter everything that happens to us through our own, our own preconceived notions. It's how we see things. It's how we perceive things. So, so if Ms. Chantel's going to tell me what happened, that's her, her point of view. Nick's going to tell me what happens, that's his point of view. And kind of intermingling between like, like the Mississippi River is the truth. What exactly happened? Here's the thing, guys. God knows everything. Amen? And that's why only he can make good judgments. Only he can finally make the call. You know, I remember when I first got in ministry, I was really, really quick to, to judge who was right with God and who would. Boy, I just knew. Then I grew up a little bit, Miss Annalee. <laughs> and I realized I didn't know half of what I really thought I knew. Oh, I thought I knew, but we only know a portion of the story. That's why all judgment should be given to God. Note four points. The moralist thinks he will escape. His offense is much greater, for he is like all other men, sinful and short of God's glory. Yet he criticizes and judges those whose failures are discovered and exposed, and he thinks he will escape. But the Bible says in Luke 12 and 2, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. For who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have reason to praise God. Ecclesiastes 12 and 14, For God shall bring every work unto judgment, every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God don't miss a thing. Amen? God, don't miss a thing. Let me, let me encourage those of you who've been serving the Lord for a long time. Sister Garland, he don't miss a thing. Sister Sarah, he don't miss a thing. That's a good thing. You know, some people get nervous. Ooh, God, don't miss a thing. But for those that have been doing it right for a long, long time, he don't miss a thing. You know what? I know, Sister Garland, you haven't done what you've done for attaboys, okay? Although you deserve a bunch of them. But one day when you see Jesus, you're going to get a good attaboy. In fact, you're going to get well done. Well done. And he'll say, Mona, you can come on up here too. Okay? <laughs> Donald's like, wait a second now. <laughs> but here's the deal, guys. God, just praise the Lord, brother Donald. That's the best thing for you to do right now. <laughs> hey, God doesn't miss a thing. Those of you who have been faithful to the Lord, keep being faithful. God's going to honor that. Amen? So, another thing to be reminded of. The moralist thinks God is too good to punish. He thinks of God as he, he thinks of the richness of God's goodness, God's grace, God's patience, and that's all true. God, of course, is all this and much more. What the moralist fails to see is that God's goodness is not a blank check for sin, does not give license to sin, does not condone sin or overlook sin. God's goodness is supposed to lead men to repentance. Amen? You ever wondered why Jesus hadn't come back yet? Because he still wants some more people to get right. 2 Peter 3 and 9, God is not slack concerning his promises, but long-suffering, patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. If Jesus had come 25 years ago, I wouldn't have been ready. If Jesus had come back 10 years ago, some of you wouldn't have been ready. But his grace is so, so 
patient. But just as much as we serve a God of grace and mercy and patience, we serve a God of judgment as well. Amen? Paul concurred when he said this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters nor adulterers or effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves or covetousness or drunkards, nor revelers, nor nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. For such were some of you... But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Can I get a witness? Man, I haven't forgot where I came from. Man, just the other day, me and Chantel were talking, she reminded me about the worst thing she ever did in high school. How about the worst decision she ever made? She was about the best decision I ever made. Amen? But I haven't forgotten where I came from. Praise God for His grace. The moralist thinks man is basically good. (laughs) He thinks man can be good enough to be accepted by God. How many know that is just not the case? In fact, I believe it was the prophet Isaiah talks about our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. God is way up here and we're way down here and the only person that can bridge that gap is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by who we serve, by asking Jesus to come in our heart. The the self-righteous forget that. And finally, the moralist hardens his heart against the judgment of God. He refuses to repent. He just cannot accept the fact that God is not good enough, that he is not good enough for God to accept, that God's goodness and love would ever condemn him. You know, guys, I have met some self-righteous folks in church, and, and boy, when you call them on that, they get pretty riled up. Just today, I was spending some time with Pastor Packy, and, and I asked about a mutual friend of ours that uh, used to be in leadership at his church, and sadly, this guy's out of church today. Nick used to be in leadership, used to be involved in so many areas, but he was so self-righteous. He was so, this is the way we're going to do things. And, and the moment things didn't fit into his box, he walked away from God. How sad, how tragic. Let's learn from that, amen? You see, Jesus taught in Luke chapter number 12, verse number 49, he said, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? No, I'm sorry, wrong scripture. I was like, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing, okay? John chapter number 3 has a lot more to do with that. John chapter number 3, verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Second Peter 2 and 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. I got good news for you, godly. Good news for you, Christian. The Lord knows how to deliver you out of temptations. Dawn, when you're having a rough day on Monday at work, this is your scripture. The Lord knows how to deliver you. He knows how to make a way of escape. He also knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, let's look at the judgment of God in verses 6 through 10. The judgment of God is according to deeds, and it will be universal. Everyone will either eternally be rewarded or eternally punished. No one shall be exempt. No one will escape. Now note this. Judgment is to be based upon a man's deeds or works. This does not mean that faith is not necessary. And and contrary-wise, there is no such thing as faith without works. You see, we're not saved by our works, but because of our faith, we do works. 
Because of our faith in Jesus, we do what he wants, to, wants us to do. Love compels us. Faith compels us. Righteous and acceptable works without faith, it takes both. It's not an either or, it's a both and. God's works, the works that are truly of and for God, that truly please God, are the result of faith. Men believe in and serve and work for many different things in the world. Some believe and work for religion, for service organizations, for social clubs, for humanity. That's all good, guys. But this community don't need another park. This community needs Jesus. Amen? We don't need better roads. Folks can drive on pretty roads and go straight to hell. They need the good news of Jesus. Amen? And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to judge. We're called to love. We're called to point people to Jesus. See, what God demands is that men first believe and work for him, reaching out to a world lost and gripped in desperate need. What a man, when a man truly believes God, he works for God. God is going to either reward or punish every man according to his works, according to what he has done with and for God. There shall be the well-doer's wonderful reward. Guys, those of you that have been serving the Lord for a long time, you've got a reward coming. You've got a reward coming. For those who have done well, who've served the Lord, there's going to be a wonderful reward. Note three things about this. Number one, um, we're going to receive glory, honor, and immortality. We're also going to... Um, By patient continuance, the word means to be steadfast, to endure, to persevere, to continue. The Lord is going to take care of you if you keep doing right. Amen? He doesn't have to, he he, he finished what he starts. We serve a God who finishes what he starts. We don't have to live in consistent up and down lives. We can keep being consistent for the Lord. We don't have to give in to hardships or difficulties. We can endure. It's why Paul taught us in Galatians 6 and 9, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I am thoroughly convinced, guys, the only way to lose out with God is to quit. To throw in the towel, to say I'm done with it. We're smarter than that. Amen? Note the wonderful reward for all well-doers. Eternal life. Eternal life is said to be the inheritance of the world of glory, honor, and peace. And then there shall be the evildoers, terrible and severe judgment. The evildoers to be judged for three reasons. Number one, he is contentious against God. The evildoer does not like what God says. Therefore, there's intimacy between he and God. There's a conflict between he and God. He does not obey the truth. Every, every evildoer is also going to be judged. Nobody will escape. Jesus taught this in Matthew 25, 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto a life eternal. Revelation 20 and 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But every, every well-doer, you and I that are faithful to the Lord, will be rewarded, both Jew and Gentile. No well-doer shall be exempt or overlooked. Every man that worketh worketh good shall receive immortality, eternal life, glory, honor, and peace. That's good news, isn't it? And then finally, in verses 11 through 15, we see... We see the judgment of God is without respect to persons. God's judgment will be executed with 
pers- with absolute impartiality, showing no favoritism whatsoever. As much as my wife would like to continue with this, God has no favorites, okay? Even though she says she's God's favorite. But the truth of the matter is, we're all God's favorite. Amen? He loves us all. He cares for us all. God doesn't show partiality. God favors no one. We all have the favor of God upon our lives if we serve God. All men stand on equal footing before God's judgment. God loves and cares for us all, but he he has no favor. It shows no partiality. Therefore, on the great day of judgment, all will be judged by the same rule, by the same principle. The man who sins without the law, the man who sins in the law will both be judged. Again, sin is the basis for judgment. Secondly, the doers and not the hearers of the law will be the doers and not the hearers of the law will be justified. It is not enough to have the law or the word of God. It's not enough to hear it, to see it. It's not enough to sit in church every Sunday. You have to be doers of the word. Amen? You know, going to church makes you a Christian like going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Okay? It, it, we don't get it by osmosis. It doesn't just rub off on us. You have to commit to it. You have to commit to a growth process. Possessing, having, hearing, and even proclaiming the Word of God is not enough to save a person. A person must keep the law, must live and do the will of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Luke 6, Jesus taught this in verses 47 through 49. Whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man who built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream uh, beat violently upon the house, could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears and does not is like a man that... Without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat violently, and immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was very, very great. Mm. We're all without excuse, guys. We're all without excuse. What about those who've never heard about Jesus? God has put every one of us, every one of us have a conscience. We know what's right and wrong. I mean, think about it. Think about your children who haven't been in, in kids' church yet, who hadn't been in, they're, they're just in happy church, eating a little snack every now and then. When they hit their little brother, they know they did wrong. When, when they disobey Dawn, they go hide. They know they did wrong, okay? We, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. God has put that in, inside of all of us. And that's going to be a basis for judgment for those that, that haven't heard the good news of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says all of creation declares the goodness of God. We can look at creation and know that there's got to be something more. And then finally, the judgment of God is to be executed by one judge, and that's Jesus Christ. The specific day of judgment is coming. It's fixed. Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32 teach, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Hebrews 9 and 27, It is appointed once unto men to die, but after this, the judgment. 
Jude 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In that day, at that time of judgment, the secrets of men will be judged. All secrets will be exposed. Everything done behind closed doors, all shady deals, everything that people thought they got, they got over on everybody. You didn't get over on God. Luke 12 and 2, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Finally, Jesus Christ is the one who will do the judging. Why? Because he's earned the right to judge by perfectly obeying God. He is the one who's lived the sinless life and died for all men. He is, he's experienced life on earth. He understands temptation. He can sympathize with men in their infirmities, but he never, ever sinned. So that makes him worthy of judgment. John 5 and 22 says, For the Father judged no man has committed all judgment to the Son. 2 Timothy 4 and 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And what's going to be the standard or the rule by which men shall be judged? The gospel, the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ came and made a way for you to pass judgment. He made a way. Guys, it's not about being more self-righteous. It's not about doing more things right. It's about loving Jesus more. Why am I faithful to my wife? Because it's the right thing to do? Yes, but also because I love her. And because I love her, it motivates me to do what's right. Our problem in the church is we just need to love Jesus more. Because when we love Jesus more, we'll do more. We'll give more. We'll sacrifice more. Our, the church's problem has always been our heart. We just don't love enough. Like I said Sunday, we need to make room for Jesus this Christmas season. We need to get that stuff out of our lives. We need to get unforgiveness out of our lives. We need to get all kind of stuff out of the world, out of our lives, and make more room for Jesus. Because when we do, it'll change everything. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the faithful judge. Lord, I'm thankful that I don't have to do the judging because I'd make mistakes. God, I'm glad that my mother-in-law is not the judge. Whew. I'm glad that, that, uh, that no man judges me, but you judge me because you make no mistakes. And Lord, I realize today, Lord God, that I can't make it on my own. God, forgive me for judging others. Forgive me for putting myself in a place of judgment that I don't belong Forgive me, Lord God, for looking down on others, God, for, for, for being anything but what you want me to be. Lord, in light of your judgment, let us live our lives full of grace, full of mercy, full of love for you and love for others.